Thank you, Tabby. <coughs> if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn again to Proverbs chapter 20. And uh, <coughs> that's where we have been for the last couple of weeks. Last week, we examined some of the uh, most practical material found in the Bible on the key components of training up your children. And Proverbs is a great book on that because it views us as God's children. And a lot of the principles or all of the principles that God gives us to our relationship for Him, the one we use. We talked about preserving the simplicity, not only in your Christian life and your relationship with God, but with your children, the innocence of your children, uh, a process of knowing where they are. The Bible talked about a child is known by his doing, how transparent they are, how a parent that is in touch and in tune can really focus and understand where the child is at and better have an ability to, to, to guide them and to give them what they need. And we talk about using the key time in their lives before uh, that evil day. And we talk about a uh, book out of Ecclesiastes and about the book of Ephesians, how that for each of kid that you have, that coming up, growing up, it was true of all of our lives too, there's an evil day coming when they have to be faced uh, with all of the things of the world without the protection of their parents. And the things that we have built in their lives at that point in time are going to be very key to whether they make it or not. And now today... We're going to move into yet another section found in the book of Proverbs, and I've been kind of taking it in sections and, and gleaning out of it so we have what we need, uh, you know, and, and we can get the most out of it. Uh, but I want, to, I want to look at Proverbs chapter 20 uh, and verses 13 through 16. And here's what it says. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. But when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take his garments that is surety for a stranger, and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. Foots Walker, would you stand up right where you're at and ask God blessing? Happy Father's Day to you, Foots. Amen. Good to see your whole family here today, Foots. That's a blessing. You got your three daughters and your son. Where's your wife? Oh, I thought you were one of the daughters right there. I'm sorry. Give me some points. I want it, huh? Yeah, you betcha it will. Now, let's look at verse 13 here. It says, love not sleep. That's hard not to do that. Believe me. <laughs> love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Now, as the verse stands, it's, it's talking about our work ethic. Uh, it's talking about that if you don't work, you don't eat. And, and, and that's the standard uh, concept of it, and it's a true standard. You know, and that's a great message for America today because America doesn't want to work. I remember Nikki Brown, alias Nikki Halliburton. Remember, remember the gal that you were working with years ago? And uh, she was having, she, she wasn't married, or maybe she I don't remember. She was having kids left and right. And she wasn't paying, she didn't have anything for any of them, and society was paying for them all. And she talked about Nikki, who was the wrong person to talk to about this. She talked about Nikki about how easy it was to have uh, kids and have the government pay for it, that it was free. Is that something like that, what she said? And Nikki, on no uncertain terms, told her they didn't free. We're paying for it. But that's the mindset in America. I know that uh, many of you who run businesses, it's hard to find people who really want to work. You know, they want a job, but they don't want to work. Uh, and it, it's a thing where it's, it's really hard to find in the generations of the last two or three generations uh, people who really understand the concept of work. You know, going to work, believe it or not, is a principle in the Bible that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It's in Genesis 3.19 that when uh, Adam fell and God is laying out now what the consequences of that is going to be, he says uh, back there in verse 19, By the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat your bread, Till you return to the dust of the ground. Work is a is a uh, is an aspect of the fall, and, and, and you know we saw it back in Proverbs chapter six, verse nine, ten, eleven. We saw somebody lazy and asleep. It talked about, and you can't wake them up. They won't work. Bible called them a sluggard. There's nothing worse than coming out in the morning to pick up the newspaper, and there is a big slug on your driveway. You know those big old slimy things, and uh, you know and. 
you don't want to step on them because they stay on your shoe for the rest of your life. Put salt on them, they shrivel up and dry. And then your dog eats them and then he gets sick and it goes that way. But it's a thing where a slug is not a very good, slug is very slow. A slug is something that'll take maybe a week to get across your driveway. Uh, it's, it's, it's very slow. And, and he says that a person who won't work, who is lazy, is a sluggard. And he says the folding of the hands, fast asleep. And then it says that poverty comes to them like a thief. In other words, the poverty in our lives because we won't work steals everything from us. And that's what, that's what it's saying. Somebody who is lazy and will not work, uh, you know, and live uh, in poverty because of it. And, and that's a phys- in a physical sense. But there's also a practical side to this that fills with the spiritual aspect of the Bible. And I want to talk about that for a moment. We know what the other one is. We know that bread in the Bible is a type of the Bible. In John chapter 6, Jesus Christ gives the great discourse of the Word of God being the bread of life. In Exodus chapter 16, He brings the manna down from heaven to the nation of Israel. That's a picture of God supernaturally giving the Word of God to us. And that, you know, and, and, and that... The only thing that will really satisfy us in life will be the bread of life. And so there's two applications to this passage or this verse. Number one, it's simply somebody who is lazy who won't work in a physical sense and is in poverty because of it. Two, somebody who when it comes to the bread of life, the Bible will be lazy and will never do the work uh, that is uh, and is fast asleep when it comes to anything pertaining to God or the Word of God. You know, one time... The Lord was at one of the most crucial times of his ministry. And uh, it was back in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going through that great hour of temptation. And he tells the disciples to wait here for him and pray. And he's going to go on into the garden, (coughs) and it's the pinnacle part of the the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's where we see the God-man and the Son of Man struggle back and forth with what God wants them to do, much like the struggles that you and I have. It's an incredible passage. And he wanted the disciples to pray for him. He wanted them to, to watch with him through this time. And, you know, and he comes back there, and they've fallen asleep. And I, I'll never forget, he looks at them, and they're all through his darkest time. He, 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 come, he was counting on them, and he comes back, and he looks at them, and he says to them, could you not watch with me one hour? And, and I've often thought about that. You know, today Christianity uh, is fast asleep. I, I, when I study the Bible, I realize that over there in Matthew chapter 20, it has the, the church age broken down into hours. And each hour is a couple of hundred years. And you can actually walk through church history. And uh, the, the, last, the, last, the last hour before the Lord comes back, is the 11th hour. And it started, in, if you put the time element to it and figure it out, it started around 1840, 1847. And it runs up to the time period that we're in right now. And I want to tell you something. Just as the crucial time in the Lord's ministry, in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, where the apostles couldn't watch with him, you and I today in the church age are probably in the most crucial time before the Lord comes back. And he needs us to be on our watch. This is our hour to watch with him. And unfortunately, God's people have fallen asleep today. They've done the same thing. And because of it, there's a great famine that hit American Christianity in the 2021st century. Uh, Amos chapter 8, verse 11 talked about there was a coming famine, that it would not be a famine of food or water or drink, but a famine of the hearing of the words of the Lord. And the reason why there is a famine today is because God's people have fallen asleep. They're not on their watch. Now, i got to say, in comparison to that, I, I feel very blessed here in our church. And I, I, I you know, the very, uh, the very things that we have here and, and the very focus of so many of you who really know the Word of God. Uh, being part of my ministry and part of my life. Uh, it's a real blessing to me. And I mean, I mean those who really know the Bible. I have men and women that are incredible when it comes to the Word of God. And, uh, you know, I look at the things that we have done by design, the people ministry, and, of course, the institute that we did a long time. Now we're doing it again. 
I look at all the young men and women in the shingles that God brings into our world. I look at you young couples that are just spread out through this church. Uh, men and women, uh, the older folks in this church who really love the Bible. And I would put you up against anybody in this country when it comes to knowing the Word of God. You have a depth to you. <coughs> you have an insight to you. <coughs> uh, you, ha- you, have a, you have a discernment about you. It keeps me honest. <coughs> I know on Thursday night I'm not going to get it when you ask the question. I know I'm not going to get away with just saying something that doesn't go down the line of the Bible. <coughs> There's too many people in here who know their Bible. And the flip side of that is that when I do get in a jam, there's always somebody out there that help me out. And, and that's a blessing to me. <clears throat> you know, your knowledge and depth of the Bible is on par with your knowing and understanding the book that God gave you. Uh, you definitely have got some bread in your life. And yet, it's that bread that the Bible says that's the only thing that will satisfy us. You know, but it, <clears throat> it did this happen, did it? I think God's people think that you get saved and when you get saved, God puts your name on a big clipboard up there in heaven. And, you know, you're on there for three or four or five years till they get around to you because there's a lot of people. And then one night, you know, after you went to church and after you've done good and done all that stuff, the Bible angel comes down to your house and rolls back the roof and the big dump truck of biblical knowledge tilts up its bed and sprinkles down and you wake up the next morning and you finally got the Bible. Don't you wish it was that simple? It didn't happen to you that way. It didn't happen to anybody that way. You had to do the work. You had to labor to get it. As 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, you became a workman. A workman which needed not to be ashamed. That was approved of God, not your preacher, not your wife, not your husband. That the fundamental approval is that of God. It's his book. You know, I, I talked about Exodus chapter 16, which is, I got a great sermon on, and it's one of my favorite places in the Bible, where they're out there in the wilderness of sin. They have nothing to eat, and God supernaturally brings down manna, which is the bread from heaven, and feeds them. And the Bible says that when they went to bed at night, the manna came down from God, and it just, when they woke up in the morning, it was all over around the camp. They're in their tents. And it's a great analogy because in the morning when they put back that tent flap and they looked out there, they saw all the man of the Word of God that God has supernaturally brought to them. Now, the availability by God supernaturally to bring the manna to them put the decision in their life. And God bringing you the Word of God the way that He did and laying out it in front of you puts the same decision in your life. They had to look at that all around them and decide they were going to pick it up and take it or they were going to trample it under their feet. And today, God has brought the Word of God to you. You have to decide if you're going to pick it up and do something with it, or you're just going to trample it under your feet and go your own way in life. But I want you to know that nobody in that camp, the Bible doesn't say, I don't think anybody did, nobody in that camp slept outside that night with their mouth open, (laughs) waiting for a couple of pieces of bread to hit that hole which in some cases would make a caveman homesick. But anyway, <laughs> you'll use that. That's a good one. you use it at work tomorrow. But it's a thing. Nobody did that. The Bible says that they had to go out during the day, and they had to labor to pick it up. You know, they had to bend over and pick it up. That's very hard on your back. And, and the, the Bible says they could have as much as they want. And when it comes to this church and it comes to the Bible, that's my motto. You can have as much as you want. I alter that a little bit and say you can have as much as you can stand. But you can have as much as you want. It's here. But you got to do the work. It's not going to fall in your mouth. I can put all the classes together. And I can have all of the things cut right for you, hand-tailored to your life. But there's labor involved. You walk you walked long and hard, and you worked long and hard, and spent the last four or five of your years learning the Word of God, learning the Bible. You know, it's a, it's a thing where I, I watch people on Thursday night, and I watch all of you because I'm in a position where I walk up and down, and sometimes I just do that. You know, I pretend like I can't hear. I can hear everything. Ha, ha, ha.
You know, Thursday night, you can either be busy putting notes in your Bible, or you can be busy figuring out your bills. I've actually seen some people doing their, doing their bills on Thursday nights. I've seen some of them on their phone all night long. And I know they're not texting me. <laughs> it's your choice. All I can do for you in the best way I know how is present to you the greatest book that I ever met in my life. The greatest truth of everything I ever found. That's all I can do. My whole life is spent, honestly, honestly. And, and I know some of you don't like me, but that's okay. I like you. Here's the bottom line. I have spent all of my life doing one thing. That is finding out the easiest way to get you the Bible. Thank you, Lord. The truth. But you've got to do the work. I mean, I, I have not found anybody yet that underneath your hairline is a cap that I can screw off and dump everything in the Bible. Uh, some of it would be empty anyhow. There would be a lot of room there. But I'm just saying, you have to do the work. I do the work getting it to you in the easiest format, and you do the work getting it into your life from the Word of God. You know, I talked about our kids earlier today. I had a guy tell me one time that he was leaving the church because of the fact that he didn't think that the youth was, was, was getting what they, uh, the, the, the way that we were structuring the youth thing uh, was, 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 was working. He didn't want his kids being brought up in that, which is fine. He didn't like the idea that in, on Thursday uh, or Sunday that we change people in the elementary uh, every week, uh, you know, uh, that you, you go in and teach and somebody else will go in and teach. And, you know, there's a method to my madness. You realize that Crazy Horse, now he was an Indian, he wasn't a preacher. Crazy Horse was one of the greatest chiefs that, that the, in the, of the Indian nations that they ever had. You realize that he was born, every mother in that camp took him and nursed him and raised him for a, a month and then passed him on. They wanted to make sure that when he became a tribal chief that every woman in there was his mother. Because he was going to have to be the chief that took care of everybody. And they didn't want him to be partial to one person. When I have people swift out back there, I want your kids to grow up knowing, knowing who the men and women are of this church that teaches them the Bible. I, I want them to grow up understanding that this church doesn't just throw four or five people back there, that everybody in this church cares about them. And, and, and that's my method to my madness. I, I, and, and, and you know what? You saw the kids up here today, and I could go through here and look at all the other ones that I, that I didn't have stand up or on the other teams, the Bravo teams or the Charlie teams or the Delta teams. You know what? It works. It builds young kids. And you kids that are taking those younger kids and work with them and doing with the guys and you with the girls, I'm telling you, making the investment. It's more than just what you see back there on Sunday and Thursday. It's understanding the whole philosophy of what do we want to do with our kids? How do we want to infuse truth into them? And I'll be very honest with you. It's not the job of the elementary people to teach your kids the Bible. That's your job. Our job is to take what you're doing and build on it and support you in it. That's what we do. And it pays off. It pays off. I could pick any one of these kids. I've heard them. I've seen them. <coughs> uh, they have their own little prayer groups, and they do their devotion. They have their missionary teams that they go to Lincoln. The Lincoln kids has their own missionary team. It's incredible. It's incredible. Lady said one time, she says, well, you know, I'm not, my kid isn't getting anything out of Sunday school class. You kidding me? I'll tell you why they're not getting anything out of it, because they're not getting anything at home. insight into understanding how the whole system works. It's not the family. It's not the church. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not the teachers. It's not anything in one single thing. It's the composite of it all working together and working well. That's the key. Now, in verse 13, there's a phrase that I want to draw your attention to that I think is very important here, and I want to talk about it for a moment. It simply says this. Open thine eyes. In both cases, whether you you're don't want to work for a living physically or you don't want to grow spiritually, open your eyes. In both cases, do you, do you not see what's happening around you and why, uh, and, and, you know, and, and where you're at in life? I mean, 
I know Sunday morning and Thursday night are a lot of things. We cover a lot of questions. We teach a lot of Bible. But you know what fundamentally Thursday night and Sunday morning is for you, besides a time to get the Bible? It's a reality check. It's a time for you to look inwardly and ask yourself, open your eyes and say, hey, where am I? You know, it's not a long trip from Sunday morning to Thursday night. It's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You know you can get pretty lost in those three days. You know, you, it doesn't take more than one day to lose reality sometimes. And watching reality shows on TV will not fix your problem. I mean, ask yourself, so-and-so came into the church the same time that I did. Look where they're at and how come I'm nowhere yet. How come they're moving on and really know the Bible and I'm struggling with where I'm at? How come they're, they're moving along and I'm in discipleship one now for the fourth time? And that's okay. But I'm telling you, the reason for that is not because you're stupid. I'm not going to let you claim stupidity. It's not because you don't have the ability to learn. The reason that is is because you have chosen not to apply yourself and take what God has for you and take the bread that will fill you up. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Uh, you know, I, I've seen some of you work with people where you have somebody who where it just takes forever. They never want to do anything. They've always got an excuse. And you know as well as I do, people like that, when you want to take from time from your family and do your things and, and, and give them the Word of God, and they just don't put back into it, it gets very frustrating. And everybody that's discipled, everybody understands that. You've all had people like that. And then you know what? You'll have four or five like that, and then God will just give you one person that will gobble up everything that you want to give them. They'll devour. They can't get enough. And it's like having a baby. Through having a baby, there's a lot of pain and a lot of labor. But after you have the baby, you forget the pain. There's a lot of people in ministry that will waste your time and don't want to do what's right. But all God's got to do is give you that one person. You forget all the rest. That's the blessing in the ministry. I told you before that, you know, people in the ministry like prospecting for gold. And you go out there in the river and you take that, that sign that you, or that you shimmy the back and forth. You put dirt in it. You put water in it. You shake it back and forth. All the dirt falls through. And, and uh, uh, maybe in first time, nothing. Second time, nothing. But the fourth or fifth time, there's a gold nugget. Well, in the ministry, you've got to surf through a lot of dirt to find one gold nugget. But when you find that nugget, when a guy just found a nugget that he now is worth $20,000, you think he goes in there and complains about how much dirt he had to shift? He got the nugget. You know why, why I don't care in the ministry about all the people that don't make it? I got the nuggets. Some of you are chicken McNuggets, but I got them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Open your eyes. You know, some of God's people, they'll, throughout their life, they collect things. Material possessions. And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as your collection doesn't get outside of, uh, of what you cut. And then you've got some of God's people who will collect promises. They'll collect principles. They'll collect the books of the Bible. They'll collect the chapters of the Bible. They'll collect the verses of the Bible. They'll collect the promises of the Bible. You know, all, all families have one thing in common. I've never seen it fail. You go to their house, if you stay long enough, the photo albums come out. Or sometimes they're laying right there on a the coffee table and you can't get away from it. And what they'll do is they'll say, I'll be, uh, every time I go, I, and I do not appreciate some of you that I married 45, 45 years ago, pulling out your wedding pictures. And then your wife said, or somebody saying, who's that married you? It was me. <laughs> you got to look at vacation pictures. You got to look at wedding pictures. You got to look at family pictures. You've got to look at all those things. Families are hung up on pictures. And you know what? In my life, I don't have one photo album that I can show you of anything. I got a few pictures of my dad laying around someplace. There wasn't a lot of pictures taken of him. I got one of him standing by his old white 60, 60, 1960 Pontiac 
uh, you know, that, uh, that, I, that I cherish. You know, uh, I got one of him when he was a young guy. He was really a good-looking guy, uh, much like myself. Hey, <laughs> I, 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 I cherish those couple of pictures that I have. I don't have a lot left from him. But I have found over the years that my greatest photo album is the pictures that are in this book. You know, this book is a photo album. God puts picture after picture after picture. We call them types. I, and where a lot of family collect photographs and put them in an album, I collect the pictures in this book and put them in my Bible. This is my photo album. When I walk through the Bible like an institute, you know what I'm doing? I'm just showing you pictures. I'm showing you the picture of Cain and Abel. I'm showing you the picture of Adam and Eve. I'm showing you the picture of the fall in Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. I'm showing you the pictures of everything through the Bible because this is God's photo album. And it's the greatest photo album in the world. But you know what? It just, you've got to work to get it. You've got to do the work. And you've got to open your eyes. You've got to see what God's doing. You've got to look in your eyes and look at, in a physical sense, the poverty that so many did. And, and really, not too many people of anybody's in poverty. But boy, there's a lot of spiritual poverty that goes on. That'll be most of God's people. You just go to sleep spiritually, slumber away, and never do the work. And Jesus said to his apostles, cannot you watch with me one hour? And we are in the last hour of Christianity. And you know what God has called us to do? Watch with him. In the most crucial part of his ministry at the first coming of Christ, the apostles fell asleep. His disciples fell asleep. And the most crucial aspect of his ministry after the second coming of Christ, his disciples are asleep. Incredible. Last week we talked about the simplicity of God and all that he is and what he does. Uh, and there's no more, uh, no more simpler or easier book in all the world to learn than the Bible. And the number one issue with God's people about the Bible is not that it's so hard. It's just that God's people are so lazy. They won't study it. They won't labor in it. They'll work harder at playing ball. They'll work harder at doing this. They'll work harder at doing something that they like to do than they ever will when it comes to the Bible. Closing your eyes to the Word of God. Falling asleep on your watch. Mark chapter 13, verse 34 through 37. It's a familiar passage. The church age is broken down into four watches. It talks about the even. It talks about the midnight. It talks about the cock crowing. It talks about the morning watch. We're in the morning watch. And the last thing he says, he says, For the Son of Man is a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know what? When the master of the house cometh at even, at midnight, or at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Our job is to watch. We're on a watch. Now look at verse 14. This is a good one. Is it not, is it not, saith the buyer, but when he has gone away, then he boasteth. Well, that's a great verse commentary on human nature. Let me explain it to you. You know, human nature, in case you have never investigated down as far as you should have, human nature is nothing more than getting, getting ahead of the other guy in everything that we do. We call it competition. Yeah, you know, in our world today, we have a word called racism. We call it race. You have, you have, you have black power. You have white supremacy. Uh, you have uh, the conspiracies that people think that the Jews are running the world. I've talked to some of these guys that they think that the Jews, uh, everybody who's ever been a president, ever been in charge of anything, is Jewish. And they all go back to that conspiracy. And all history is nothing more than a race. We call it the human race. And that concept is as old as Genesis chapter 3, where the first race began with Cain and Abel in a race to get God's approval for their sacrifice. And we call ourselves the human race. All history is a race from Genesis chapter 4 right up to 2017. All history is a race of one of three races. And, and Noah's boys, when they come out that ark, were Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And all of the races of this world come from those three boys. And from Genesis chapter 10 at the Tyre of Babel, where the nations are now formed, it's nothing more than one nation trying to get ahead of the other. All the wars. European War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, go over into Europe, the Hundred Years' War, the Thirty Years' War, the War of the Roses, the Neapol uh, Napoleonic Wars, 
uh, the, the, all of those wars are nothing more than one nation in a race against another nation to take over them. In our society, in our society, everything that we do through history, it's about who's going to run who. In our own society, it's built on sports. The national pastime is baseball. That's a sport. We love football in the Super Bowl. It's a sport. We love basketball. It's a sport. But it's about who's in a race to win. How fast can you run with the ball? How far can you hit it? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But I'm saying it goes all the way back to the Incas and the Mayans. They had their temples and they had courts there where they played one team against the other. And they had to put a little round ball up in a hole. I've been there. I've seen it. Now, the only downside, if you lost, your team got killed. So you give a little motivation to win. But I think of the, we talk about the Olympics, you know, uh, and, and the gold medal, the silver medal, and the bronze. You know, and, and the Olympics go back to the Greeks and the Romans. In our own softball, in our volleyball league. And again, there's nothing wrong with it, but you have competition. Competition is good. You know, you have, you have first place, and everybody wants to be in first place, so you get geared up. And, you know, before the championship, you go to the, you'll go to the batting cages, and you'll get all psyched up, and you'll get yourself going. Volleyball, you're out there ready to go. You want to win. You're in a race against the other team. Uh, my, one of my greatest down things of life in this part is I can't play softball anymore because of my back and my surgery. I got to tell you, I come up to that first game, walked up to that hill, watched those teams play. It was a hard night for me. Only thing I ever did good in athletics was halfway decent. And I really enjoyed it. But I didn't enjoy it because, see, I'm weird. I know you know that. I didn't enjoy pitching because I was a good pitcher. I didn't enjoy pitching because I wanted to win the game. I enjoyed pitching because it gave me the ability to play with human nature. It gave me the ability to test a lot of theses as I have on the race of who's going to win. I learned that you don't have to be a real good pitcher if you learn to pitch to a guy's ego. Because you, you see them. They think they're playing for the Royals. We're playing on a, on a sand lot. They got $90 pants, $600 cleats. They got a shirt that says somebody's professional ball player. They actually, to them, it's a big deal. And they, everybody's watching. The girls are watching. The boys, they don't want to screw up. They want everybody to know. And you always, I, I love it. I always know I got a fish on the hook when they swagger up to the plate. Dead giveaways. They tap their cleats. Then they do this. <laughs> I, I, I have learned that if I get, they, they want to do well. They want, everybody, everybody wants to hit it over the fence for whatever reason. I can't get it fast per, first base when I hit it. I would love to crack that ball and, and stand there and watch it go over that fence. Never going to happen. But some of them can do it, and that's what they want. Whether they can do it or not. That's what men want to do. So I'm on the mound. I know that. And I, I don't pitch to your ability. I pitch to your ego. And I have a few little secret things that I pull out of there. And if I can get the guy to strike one time and miss and get it in, sometimes I'll, put, I'll get enough arch on it, but it'll come in faster than it's supposed to. And he won't judge it that way, and he'll swing and he'll miss. Once he misses, I can see it in his face. Panic. <laughs> Because we already start with a one and one. So he only got one more chance. And so then I got him. I got two on him, no walk, so I have some time to play now. So now I'll bring out some of my specialty pitches. I'll bring some of the ones that are just on the edge of the corner. Uh, my ability to depth perception on that plate, when I'm on, I'm on. I can put that thing right over the corner. Besides that, Chris Shelton been in it with me for 50, 60 years, and he'll always give me the benefit of the doubt on a close call. <laughs> By the way, let me stop and tell you this. Chris Shelton and I have been together for probably 40 years. Wouldn't you say 40 years? Long time. All the way back in the day. I've loved Chris like I've prayed for Chris. I've never gotten to the place where I could ever really witness him. I buried his mom. 
you know, I, I, he's been a friend to me. I've been a friend to him. He came to me, he came to me uh, yesterday at the ball game, pulled me aside. And he says, Bobby, he says, I want to talk to you. He says, I need to talk to you. He says, first of all, he says, could we, when I die, could we have my funeral in your church? And I said, absolutely. I said, that would be a privilege for me. And he says, and he says I want to sit down and talk with you. He said, I want to talk about my life, and I want to talk to you about God in my life. Amen. So pray for Chris. Uh, but he always gave me the benefit of the doubt. I know I could slip by on a close one. He's call it. And so once I get the second one on him and I strike him out, oh, I got him for the rest of the game. Yeah, because their, their ego was crushed. They were looking at being on the front cover of softball today. <laughs> See, I don't care who wins as long as we go eat afterwards. So I got no dog in the fight. I don't care. We got beat 68 to nothing. Do they have those double-decker sandwiches over there? That's all I care about. But that's the way people are. You know, churches are always in competition with other churches. I remember back in the 70s and the 80s, First Baptist Church of Raytown was not where it's at now. It was over there in the middle of Raytown. Remember that? And they had a really nice facility, and they had a really big church. I remember the churches that I were at and the other churches, they hated First Baptist of Raytown, not because of anything they did wrong. They envied what they had that the other one didn't have. And it was a competition there. It was a competition. We'd have Sunday school campaigns where the pastor would pick a church way out in some place in the other part of the country. And we'd have a 10-week we'd have a 10-week uh, uh, Sunday school campaign that you had a goal you had to set. And if the, whatever one won, the pastor had to fly out and present a trophy to the, to the winning pastor. And we did things like that in competition. We had a Sunday school campaign for everything. We had a, a some of you remember this. Remember the heaven Sundays we used to have? Where they preached on heaven, you know, and you bring all your friends to learn about heaven. I, I always said, just have a hell Sunday. Nobody wanted to do a hell Sunday. <laughs> I think that'd be a lot better than a heaven Sunday. We had a Sunday school campaign one time that said, 10 weeks, God versus the devil. We set a goal of 2,000 people every week. When you hit 2,000, God won. When you didn't hit 2,000, the devil won. You know the devil beat us seven out of ten weeks? <laughs> Competition. That's, that's, that's the way we are. And Now, the verse 14, let me explain it to you in its simplest form. You're going to love this. Allow me to illustrate human nature of what's going on. It says here, it is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he goeth away, he boasteth. Now, here's, you, here's the way we are, guys. You see in the paper, the guy has a boat for sale. And he wants $1,000 for the boat. So you drive over and look at the boat. It's a nice boat. But you start walking around and saying, $1,000? There's a lot of work here. You know, I'd have to put a couple hundred dollars in it just to get it ready to go. I like it. Wouldn't mind having it, but I'd have to put a couple hundred dollars in it, three, four hundred dollars in it before, and then I got too much money in it. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you seven hundred dollars for it because I don't have to put some work in it. Guy says, mm. "How about seven fifty? You say, "Okay, seven fifty, good deal." So you bought the boat that he was asking a thousand for. You paid seven fifty. Because you told him the boat wasn't worth it. And then you go to all your friends saying, I got a $1,000 boat for $750. See? It is not. It is not. Then he go with his way, he boasteth. That's human nature. I, I'll be honest with you. I never pay anything anybody's asking. You want to get a good deal in a car? Take me with you. I'll work them. I'll work them. I'll kick the tires. I walk around there and I'll say, I'll get it for you. I'd never pay anything. Somebody says, I want $500 for this. I'll say, I'll give you, give you $350. I mean, never pay what they're asking. You just never do. And a lot of people can't. Women can't do that. Women will pay whatever they're asking. You know why that is, don't you? Because it's your money. I don't care. Now, women have their competition, but they're with competition with other women. I can't believe she's got the same dress I've got on. (laughs) 
about how, how their hair looks. And I'm in agreement with all of this. I, this is not a criticism. I've seen some of you at camp when you get up in the morning. I think you need all a praise the Lord for what God has done. I get it. Women compete with other women. Well, I wouldn't be caught dead in that dress. If you could get in the dress, yes, maybe you would be. I get it. I get it. And then, guys, I'm just going to throw this out because we got a lot of young married couples here. Don't fall for this. Does this dress make me look fat? Never. Never. Lying is an abomination in the sight of God. With a very present help at a time of trouble, and you want to remember that. <laughs> now, that's just human nature. That's human nature at its best or at its worst, however you want to take it. People will always try to get ahead by, uh, on the other person. You know, the ministry is a race. Paul said over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, he talked about that, that we, we, we go after an incorruptible crowd. We go after a prize. A prize is an incorruptible crown. He said in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, run the race that is set before you. Run it with patience. You see, in Christianity, our race is against time. Because time's running out. We're in a race. So Paul says, run the race. He says, he that runneth the race, do it for a, 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 corruptible, a corruptible crown. Do it for an uncorruptible crown. Open your eyes. Now look at verse 15. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Now, what he's saying here is so true, and it's easy to see and understand. In life, there will be things that are of great value. Society will be built on this value system, and, uh, and many times so is Christianity, or at least Christians. And many people will hold these things as dear and precious. I think gold right now is $1,200 an ounce. Diamonds and rubies and precious stones. <clears throat> and and you can, as valuable as they are, you can find them everywhere. I mean, you can watch television and a commercial come on for you to buy gold. And you can just call them up and say, here, send me some gold. And you'll have it in the mail. The mailman doesn't steal it. You can go down to Zales. You can go over to, <coughs> you know, uh, uh, Bros, Or you can go <coughs> anywhere. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know. <laughs> You want diamonds? You can go there. You can go to Walmart. No, not Walmart. You can go to <laughs> Costco. Now the verse says, above all these things that we hold precious, the greatest value that you can have that is a precious jewel above all those things are the lips of knowledge. Your ability to speak the things of God. You see, diamonds and rubies... Gold, they're all temporary things. People had gold back in the early 1900s, and you know what? FDR came in and passed a law that you had to turn in all your gold. They took it from you. Oh, they paid you for it, but they took it from you because America wanted the gold. You, can, you, you have a diamond, somebody will steal it. You have rubies, somebody will break into your house. But when you have the wisdom of God on your lips and the truth of God, nobody can ever take that from you. More precious than anything the world has to offer. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. Proverbs 8, 11 says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, the church, uh, and that's why a virtuous woman is priced far above rubies. Far above rubies. A pearl uh, is one of the most unique things that you could ever, ever have. And over there in Matthew chapter 13, the church, this virtuous woman whose price is far above rubies, is called a pearl of great price. Matthew 13, 46. Now, a pearl is unique because you can take a diamond, you can cut it in half, and you can have two diamonds. And you can take a ruby and cut it in half and have two rubies. But if you take a pearl and cut it in half, both halves dies because a pearl is alive. And that's why you'll never see them separated or cut because they're, they're, they're alive, they're living. 
Solomon over there, the Bible talks about the fact that uh, 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 he had a thousand wives. And he picked, found one that was a virtuous woman whose price was far above rubies. And you read Song of Solomon chapter 1, he had a thousand now, and he found one that was the virtue out of a thousand. And the Bible says in the, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 1 that she was black, probably most likely the Queen of Sheba. You don't know that for sure, but she was certainly black, it says so. And I, I looked at that one time and I asked a jeweler, I said, you know what, uh, how, how rare are black pearls? I mean, you see white ones all the time, and occasionally you see black ones. How, how rare? You know what he told me? He said, ah, he said, they find white ones all the time, and a black pearl, probably one in a thousand. I said, amen. He said, what did you say? I said, never mind. <laughs> a black pearl was the love of his life, the virtue. And you see, this is our problem. All the things, the possessions of this life that we desire, to have instead of the wisdom and understanding lips that the Word of God will give us. And you don't find very many people, one out of a thousand. As I said earlier, I thank God for Him accumulating so many here. So many here. That just means that so many other churches have nobody. Because God brought us a host of men and women here who really know and love the Word of God. And your kids are growing up, loving it and understanding it. You know, back in the 1800s, I think it was 1849, they had a gold rush out in California. Somebody found gold at Sutter's Mill. And uh, everybody from the East Coast ran to California to get rich. And it started the, gold, the great gold rush. But when they got out there, it was soon discovered that there was a, 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 a mineral that looked exactly like gold, but it was not gold. Its technical name is iron pyrite. We call it, no, it is fool's gold. Gold. You know, in life, you're going to find, just to illustrate the Bible, because the Bible talks about the fact that, that, that real Christianity, there's fake Christianity that looks so good and so close, but it will not get you to heaven. You know, all through history and all through life, there's, there's, uh, um, there's, there's two choices and everything. Bible says in the book of Psalm 78 that heaven is north. And one of these days when the Lord comes back, we're raptured out, we're going to head north. But you realize that in life there's two norths. There's what they call true north and there's what they call magnetic north. Your compass points to magnetic north, which will always be about two or three degrees off. And you know what? Uh, it, it shows you that there is a true salvation and a true heaven, but then there's one that's only a couple of degrees off. And it may not sound like a couple of degrees is a lot, but you start traveling millions and millions and millions of miles, and by the time you, you'll be so far off, you'll never get there. I showed you last week that there's two kinds of light. There's a dark light, and there's true light. Diamonds. You know what? You can get a diamond, and it's a beautiful thing. It's worth a lot of money, and then they make those zirconium ones that look just like the real thing, but they're fake. They're not real diamonds. You couldn't tell by looking at it, but you analyze it under one of those those glasses and you can see you know there's bibles out there that there's real bibles and there's a false bible there's a true church and a false church and when it comes to gold there's true gold and then there's full gold fool's gold and, and many a man loaded his wagon with bags of fool's gold and i can see him now driving to town thinking he's a millionaire and all the things he's going to buy how disappointed he was when he got to the assayer there and he took that gold in there and they looked at it and he says, it ain't real gold. Fool's gold. You see, it took a guy with some experience in minerals and prospecting to tell the real from the fake. And he was excited about it right up to the point when the guy looked at it and said, it's worthless. And today, God's people in Christianity have loaded their wagons with fool's gold. The things, like in verse 15, that they have desired more than the precious jewels of the lips of knowledge, and in all their life, they think they're okay, right up to the judgment seat of Christ. What a, what a thing it's going to be. Gold and silver and precious stones in reality, you walk up there at the judgment seat of Christ thinking you have all of those things and find out it's fool's gold. All your life you invested in the wrong things. 
Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2 says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that you may wit which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. We spend all our lives, and I'm not saying anything wrong with this in, in moderation and in doing it in balance. We spend all our life buying things that have nothing to do with God and the Word of God. And then wonder why we're not satisfied. You know, the ones in this church that are satisfied, you don't cause any problems. You're in the ministry. You're doing it. Do you know why? Because your soul is fat with that book. Oh, you may be in shape physically. <coughs> you may have some real nice abs. You may, have, you, may have, you may have a great body. You may look great, but all this stuff. But your soul is 9,000 pounds. You're fat. Fatness of the soul. You know what the fatness of the soul produces? Satisfaction. That's why you don't get upset about anything. You're satisfied. You know why people get the nose bent out of their eyes? They're not satisfied. You've got to be satisfied with the lips of knowledge and what God has given you. Now look at verse 16. <clears throat> take his garment, that is, that is surety for a stranger, and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. Now, as the verse stands again, uh, we have seen this before in six one and eleven fifteen and seventeen eight. It basically talks about that if you're going to co-sign for somebody, or you're going to you're going to give yourself to somebody, or you're going to <clears throat> be part of something uh, with somebody, that you make sure you're not going to get left holding the bag. You're not going to get hosed. <clears throat> That's the. But there's more to it than here than that. I want to talk to you about a a practical application for your life and my life. We have been talking about uh, the judgment seat of Christ here. And I, I want to tell you here that when it talks about somebody losing their garments and somebody being surety, I want to tell you something. There are three things dealing with the judgment seat of Christ that will mess you up. One will be the person you marry. Two will be the people you associate with. And three is who you get your Bible from. Those three things will make you or break you with the judgment seat of Christ. You know, we've been talking about the true riches versus worldly riches. The judgment seat of Christ, real gold versus fool's gold. Gold and the riches of this world. Yet there is a gold and a precious stone above all the value of the things of this world. And it will be the lips of knowledge of the Word of God. Notice a couple of key words here we want to look at in verse 16. First of all, somebody taking your garment. Second of all, a strange woman. Third of all, verse 17, I know we haven't read it yet. We'll do this next week, but I want to use it, the bread of deceit. Now, the strange woman will be fake religions of the world. The bread of deceit will be the fake Bibles of the world. And then the garments. Well, that's a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in Revelation 19, verse 8, that when we go through the judgment seat of Christ, that we get a robe of righteousness, a garment. You also get a crown. A crown of righteousness, 1 Corinthians 9, 25, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. But I want you to look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that which thou hast, that no man, no man, no man take your crown. Somebody can take your crown. It may be the woman or the man you marry. It may be the people that you hang out with. Or it may be where you're going to church and who you're listening to getting your Bible that doesn't tell you the truth. Now, in the context here of what we've got, look at verse Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that walketh and keepeth his garments, lest they walk naked and they see his shame. Now, without question, there's a reference to the judgment seat of Christ found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this cause we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon our house, which is from heaven. If so, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For that we in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for this we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that our mortality might be swallowed up. There's a time coming where somebody can take your crown and somebody can take your garment. Oh, you're still saved. 
But the Bible says that the gentleman seated of Christ, you stand naked before God. First Corinthians chapter 3 says that you build upon that foundation the day you got saved, gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. And when you walk in there and you think, I've got gold, silver, and precious stones, and the Lord analyzes it, He says, the word will sort it out. He says, uh-uh, you got fool's gold, wood, hay, and stubble. Oh, yeah. Verse 16 is a warning to make sure who you associate with as a Christian. That whoever you're listening to, whoever you're teaching, you know, that's why, honestly, I read back there in Corinthians where it talks about that the, the ministry needs to be, you know, a ministry of truth and, and <clears throat> we're open and transparent and commending yourself to every man's conscience and all that. And I, many, many years ago, I saw the ministry as if it isn't based on truth, where you, a person has the right to question anything that's being taught. You know, in many churches, you ask the pastor a question, I don't understand that, or I don't get that, or I'm struggling with that. He gets offended. I've had people on Thursday night Bible study that, that, uh, that have said stuff to me or questioned something, and, and somebody will come up and say, well, I think he was, he, was, he was being disrespectful. You know, I can tell when you're disrespectful versus you just want to know. I've been disrespected so many times all my life. I don't know the difference, trust me. And you'll know I know when I answer you. But I understand, you can't have a ministry that isn't open. I don't expect anybody just to believe whatever I say, what I say. I believe you to question everything I say. Now, you may not do it in a bad way, but I certainly hope that you just don't believe that everything I say and take it at face value and you don't study for your own self. And it's what it has to be. I've been taught by some of the greatest guys on the planet. But you know what? I, I, I always investigated it for myself because I realize even the best guy can be off. And he may not go at it to teach you not the truth and give you something that's off, but we're all human. And it's a thing where you have to come to the place in ministry that you're open that people can ask whatever they want to ask about what you're teaching, where you got that. I get phone calls all week long. I have a Thursday, uh, every other week I have a Bible study up in Lincoln with all the good folks up there. And a couple of weeks ago we got into something that was really, and it was, all you could hear was silence. Wow, 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 I never saw that before. And then the next three or four days, you know, I get questions trying to explain it. That's what it's supposed to be. That's how you learn. I will keep you accountable in this ministry, but when it comes to my teaching the Bible, I expect you to keep me accountable. And I expect you to, you, to, you to take the Word of God that I give you, but I expect you to make sure that it is the Word of God that is the right teaching. And when you find it isn't, I've had guys, people say to me, you know, over the years, you know, well, he teaches this and he says, I don't believe that. Hey, you know what? Okay then at least you have the courtesy to come in in front of everybody. If I said it in front of everybody, show me where I'm wrong. I'll give you a Thursday night. I'll give you half the time. I'm not going to do it because there's another agenda involved. You know, truth doesn't have to be defended. It'll defend itself. And that's, the better quicker you learn that, the better off you are. But there are some men and women that will take your crown from you. They'll take your garment from you. And you have to guard against that. I think the mark of Christianity today in the Laodicean church period is God's people are just two foot loose and fancy free. They think because a person goes to church or people believe this or believes that or they say they're a Christian that everybody's okay. That is not true. It's not true when it comes to you and the judgment seat of Christ. And the principles, the verses... They're great for all of us. A time to wake up. A time to open up our eyes. To get honest with ourselves. To look, get the reality check. It isn't about what I feel or what I want to believe. It's about what does the Bible say. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and then I shall be satisfied with bread. You want satisfaction in life? It won't come in all the things you buy. That's temporary. It won't even come with the person that you think is the dream woman or man of your life. 
It won't come with having children. It'll come by your being satisfied with the bread that God has given you. Every other satisfaction in life will start with the bread that you have. Do you have bread this morning? Do you have it? Is your soul fat? Are you filling it up every day? Is it hard for you to get both through those doors back there? We've got to make it bigger spiritually for you. That's what I'm talking about. Getting to the point where that fatness satisfies you. Because when you get to that point, oh, I'm not saying there won't be things in life that bug you. I won't be saying there, you don't, things in life that don't get you down. But they won't keep you down. The fatness of the Word of God will always overcome it. I told you a couple of weeks ago that every time a Christian starts to associate with the negative things in life, the negative always wins. It always will. It'll always win. But at the same time, a Christian that always starts hanging out with the right things and the fatness of the Word of God, you always win. It just decides which way you're going to go. Opening your eyes, waking up, watching with Him this last hour while everybody else is falling asleep. You know, I don't expect to get to the judgment seat of Christ and have much. I don't, I don't look at it in those terms. But my biggest desire is not to get there and get a lot of rewards. My biggest desire is to get there and I've stayed awake. Got there with my eyes open. You know, did you ever wake somebody up from a deep sleep, how startled they are? That's what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be for a lot of God's people. I want to go into it with my eyes open. I want to go into it understanding. I want to go into it knowing. I didn't do everything right, and I made a lot of stupid mistakes and did a lot of dumb things. But I'll tell you what, I never slept on my watch. Good, bad, or indifferent, I'm awake, and I'm holding that line. Well, we'll hold up there. Next week, we'll get into another set of verses. We're going to call you up here in just a moment for...